Hi, this is Tom Compton. You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to have a pretty, I think, very provocative program. The title even sounds provocative. The High Cost of Israel, American Bodies for a Jewish Ticket to Palestine. And this is Chuck's latest piece. Leslie, would you read us the piece and then we'll discuss it. The High Cost of Israel, American Bodies for Jewish Tickets to Palestine. Posted by Charles E. Carlson, August 21, 2013. Every American who has waved our flag or put it on a uniform should be aware of the cold-blooded history of the world Zionist Jewry and the United Kingdom where the Zionist movement was and continues to be nurtured. From King George to Tony Blair, the UK has worked to manipulate America to do its dirty deeds and sacrifice our blood to kill Zionism's enemies. There is not a more glaring and indisputable example of this than the active part that Great Britain played in bringing half a million Americans into the bloody European First World War. The, quote, Great War, unquote, as historians dubbed the first war of mass killing or the, quote, war to end all wars, unquote, as President Woodrow Wilson called it, cost the lives of 117,000 soldiers who did not come home from over there. And several times that number were maimed and wounded in the era of the machine gun, but before the discovery of penicillin. The amazing truth about World War One is that no history book gave a plausible explanation for why the United States had the slightest interest at stake for getting into it. The results from the Great Britain Zionist contrived war are still with us. The Great Depression resulted largely from turning off the war spigot and leaving excess capacity and the burden of enormous financial costs. Not until World War II was the excess capacity on farm and factory soaked up. Zionism and Great Britain started America down the path of a war-based economy from which it has never escaped. So why did President Wilson, after campaigning that he would never take America into war, do just that? Papers in British museums and libraries, not known about until long after the events of 1917, now tell us we fought Germany for no other reason but to assist world Zionism in its plan to create a Jewish state on the Palestinian territory that was under British administration. There is also strong evidence that in a May 1915 attempt to lure the U.S. into attacking Germany, Great Britain sacrificed the luxury liner Lusitania, 
with most of its passengers and crews, some 600 of whom were Americans. Two separate sources preserve the story of the bargain between Great Britain and world Zionism, each confirming the other and revealing the same facts from two different viewpoints. Both make perfect sense and are too logical to be denied. The first to record the devilish scheme was Samuel Landman, solicitor and secretary to the Zionist organization and later legal advisor to the new Zionist organization. He wrote a pamphlet in 1936 complaining that Great Britain had not fulfilled its 1917, quote, gentleman's agreement, unquote, to provide Palestine to the Zionists. It is entitled, quote, Great Britain, the Jews, and Palestine, unquote, 1936. According to a current student historian, John McCarthy, quote, Samuel Landman led the cat out of the bag, unquote. According to Landman, the Zionist Balfour Declaration was designed to, quote, induce the American president to cast our youth into war, unquote, on the British side. And this service to the British accounted, quote, in no small measure, unquote, for Nazi anti-Semitism. He warned that if the British didn't deliver a Jewish state in Palestine, the Jews in their despair might try to, quote, pull down the pillars of civilization, unquote. Then, during World War II, which was the sequel to the, quote, the Great War, unquote, a figure from Landman's book emerged to detail the account of the same event in a paper recorded in the British Museum entitled Origins of the Balfour Declaration, Dr. Wiseman's Contribution by James A. Malcolm. Mr. Malcolm, a distinguished public servant and agent for the British government, provided details about his very significant part in the conspiracy to bring an unwilling American people into the conflict for the sole purpose of saving Great Britain from total defeat at the hands of the German underseas navy. As we now know, In 1917, England was already forced to consider capitulating to Germany, which had been a traditional friend of America, whereas England had been our historic enemy. A few lines from Malcolm's paper explain the bargain between these two devils, with Americans paying the price for which each one wanted from the other. Malcolm wrote of a conversation he had was Sir Mark Sykes, Undersecretary of the War Cabinet for the Near East, in which he explained the growing Zionist movement to him and said important Zionists close to Woodrow Wilson might persuade him to cast the United States into war on the side of Great Britain. He wrote, quote, You have overlooked what the call of nationality means. Do you know of the Zionist movement? Sir Mark admitted ignorance of this movement, and I told him something about it and concluded by saying, 
You can win the sympathy of the Jews everywhere in one way only, and that way is by offering to try and secure Palestine for them, unquote. Quote, it seemed to me the only way to achieve the desired result was that one of President Wilson's most intimate friends, for whose humanitarian views he had the greatest respect, was Justice Brandeis of the Supreme Court, who was a convinced Zionist. Sir Mark Sykes was much interested in this new aspect and said he would check up on the matter, but he still saw no possibility of the War Cabinet adopting my idea. I asked him why, and he replied, We cannot act without our allies, and I am afraid they would never agree. I then suggested that if the object was to secure United States help, surely the Allies would agree. If he could obtain from the War Cabinet an assurance that help would be given towards securing Palestine for the Jews, unquote. The Malcolm paper is too detailed to quote here, but it is a must-reading if one is to know what the scheme was and who the people involved were. The scheme consisted of a promise to the world Zionists, a, quote, gentleman's agreement, unquote, that Britain would give Palestine land to the Zionist Jews in return for their using their powerful influence to turn the existing American anti-war sentiment into anti-German and pro-war fervor and save Britain from defeat. One more detail is explained by Mr. Malcolm. Judge Brandeis wanted assurance in writing of this, quote, gentleman's agreement, unquote, that written assurance was to be the Balfour Declaration, which went through many drafts before it was allowed to be seen. Lord Balfour wrote to Lord Lionel Walter Rothschild, who was known to represent world Zionism. The letter contained words to the effect that Great Britain would look favorably on the establishment of a Jewish state in Palestine, providing no harm was done to the native people there. This condition seemingly protective of the Palestinians was a lie. Both sides had to know the Zionists had no intention of sharing the land once they got a toehold. This lie is the real gentleman's agreement behind the famous declaration that has made the Middle East a region of perpetual strife and bloodshed since 1947. It was not feasible in 1917 to make public the real implications of the agreement given thousands of American deaths. It was too perfidious. In 1936, after World War I was over and done with, Mr. Landman put his paper on record in order to prod and threaten Great Britain to remember their bargain. Mr. Malcolm put his detailed report of the same matter on record in 1944. Perhaps he did so to show pride in his role of saving Great Britain from becoming a province of Germany. My own guess is that Malcolm would not publish his expose when it might have embarrassed the London money powers to the end that World War II could not have been sold to American people with a 
year memory. Had they known they were conned into World War I, they might have rejected its sequel. Consider the self-serving agenda of the American Zionists. Samuel Untermeyer, whose name is never mentioned, funded C.I. Schofield to compose a Bible that would teach, quote, evangelical Christians, unquote, to love Israel almost as much as they love Jesus. It should be no surprise that this Bible for Americans was published in England. Zionist Justice of the United States Supreme Court, Louis D. Brandeis, showed no reluctance in scheming to place the citizens of his own native land in a war that would take their lives and destroy our economy, a war that killed millions of civilians for no reason but to support Jewish Zionism and in present case to help Jewish Zionists gain land that was not theirs. James Malcolm's detailed account contains no mention of the immorality of stealing the home of 1.5 million Palestinians. For the imperial United Kingdom, conniving and taking was its path to empire. Nor did anyone object to Britain maneuvering the U.S. into a war that only sought to help Great Britain in a war it could not win by itself. Americans here in the UK called, quote, our ally, unquote, in war after war, from World War I to Afghanistan, but everyone seems to lose, except Great Britain, which manages to cling to its rock while it manipulates central banks all over the world, and Zionist Israel, who continues to foment wars against Islamic states with resources supplied by other countries, primarily the United States. From Winston Churchill to Tony Blair, there is no change in UK policy. It is time to wake up to who our friends really are. Oops, we no longer have friends. America, like Great Britain, has destroyed every trust. What is left for us is a continuing slide into democratic bondage or a major political break and rebuild. Thank you, Leslie, and thank you, Chuck. And I guess the the bottom line here on all this, I can recall General Smedley Butler, who in 1936 was involved in a number of U.S. wars, described the process by saying war is a racket. And we just saw a great example well explained of this racket. Chuck, would you like to add some further comments to your piece? Well, unlike a lot of the stories that you get into where you delve into them, as you go back into the stories, often you find that the proof becomes more and more slim and the story becomes more and more weak as you as you get into it. But That's not the case with this story of of Zionism dragging America into World War I. The more you look at it, the more clear it becomes that it's not only true, but that Great Britain was scheming for a long time before, actually for more than two years, uh, to get the U.S. into the war before this Belfort scheme came along. So it's easy to see how excited the foreign department was 
when they when they got this idea of one man in the United States who had enough influence over the president so that they could possibly get the president to actually declare a war. There was an incident two years before this where a British luxury liner named Lusitania was sunk by the Germans just a few miles off the coast of England on its way to Liverpool from New York. And that incident was very suspicious, and the details of it were locked up in England's War Department until, I think, about 1948 or something like that. And finally, the details were released, and it became very clear that England had actually planned to have the ship sunk in order to try to get the United States into the war. And the way they did it is that the ship was sunk on its way to Liverpool from New York, and it had about 500 Americans on board. It's, it was a big, big ship, the Titanic size, and a wonderful ship, a very fast ship. And it was loaded with ammunition in the hull, and so the reason that so many people died was that the ship basically exploded when it was hit by a torpedo and fell over and sunk in 300 feet of water in just minutes. I think they only got three lifeboats launched. So I don't know what the loss of life was, but it became very clear from the official archives that were later released that the war board knew all about it and that they'd actually made it very easy and convenient for the U-boats of Germany to find the Lusitania and to put it down. And then they immediately demanded the, the U.S. enter the war in grievance over this loss of life. Wilson turned that one down in, in 1915. Anybody else remember that book, The Lusitania? Well, yeah, according to this account that I'm reading right here, Germany had declared the seas around the United Kingdom to be a war zone, and the German embassy in America had placed a newspaper advertisement, I think it was in the New York Times, warning people not to sail on the Lusitania. On the afternoon right. of May 7th, Lusitania was torpedoed by a German U-boat 11 miles off the southern coast of Ireland and inside the de declared zone of war. Second internal explosion centered at the bottom, and so those would have been the munitions that were being carried. There was an attempt to actually salvage the ship, and the divers have never been salvaged, even though it's only in 300 feet of water. Uh, the divers went down and said that the hull was a sieve, and apparently it had been carrying a, uh, a load of landmines in the hull, and when they went off, they blew multiple holes through the body of the ship so that it wasn't even feasible to lift it. But probably it's one of those secrets that Great Britain once left at the bottom of the sea. So that's probably why it's still there. So the, the nature of this Zionism, if you consider what Brandeis did, Louis Brandeis, here he is, he's an American citizen, he's lived and prospered there, he's finally been elevated to a very high office, a lifetime appointment on the Supreme Court, and, and, he, and he involves himself in a plot to destroy his own country. Wilson is rumored to have had weaknesses that made him very vulnerable to uh, Mr. Brandeis and to the Zionist movement, and that's another story. But for whatever reason, Wilson changed his mind and went along with the Zionists. It was either because he feared them or he loved them, I don't know which. But in any case, uh, how much regard did either of these people have for 117,000 
American boys who were actually slaughtered in Germany in that brutal war. And uh, they were a very small part of the number of people who died in the war. The, the number of civilians that, uh, who died in Europe were, and in Russia were in the millions, all for the sake of giving a piece of land to a group of people who didn't have any right to have it. When we did enter into the war, it's been reported that the great influenza that killed millions of people during World War One actually began in the United States, and the military, because of the cramped conditions and so forth, was responsible for taking it to Europe. The reason they called it the Spanish flu, nobody wanted to admit the origin of it, and the Spaniards, who were neutral, they actually said they, the, the people were dying from this, so that's why they called it the Spanish flu. A little interesting history there. Well, there's a, a great deal deal to it, and the maneuvering was in, was quite incredible. And I think the story that we've quoted here, we've known about this for a long time, and I resisted saying anything about it until finally I found this verification story from another source, that being Samuel Landman, uh, who was a very well-known uh, lawyer and very prominent Zionist, and who had a good reason for squawking, because by 1936, some of the Zionists thought that Great Britain might renege on the deal and might not go through with granting them a position in the in Palestine. Actually, that's another story of how Israel became a state in Palestine, but the, the real migration there occurred after World War II ended. But Mr. Landman apparently wow. thought that was going to happen. And he made a blatant threat. He said that uh, if England wasn't very careful, the Jewish people would get aroused and would pull down the pillars of civilization. But that was a fairly strong statement. So today we're still living with the ongoing wars as a result of all this, aren't we? We are, and they've conditioned the American people to accept these wars as their patriotic duty. And exactly. it's, it's amazing that so few people will even question these wars. Now, there's another connection that we should be talking about in another program that we haven't spoken of in a long time. And we've mentioned the name Samuel Untemeyer. Samuel Untemeyer being the man who arranged for Justice Brandeis to become Justice Brandeis, uh, Louis D. Brandeis to become Justice Brandeis. He had a part in that. Uh, that part is not totally clear, but another slightly opaque a part of Samuel Untemeyer's activities as president of the American Zionist Federation, I believe that was the correct title, he had two functions. One, he actually is believed to be the man who paid Cyrus I. Schofield to write the Schofield Reference Bible, which, of course, made the state of Israel at that time 40 years from being coming into existence, but it made it a sort of a God icon, and it made Jewish people unassailable by people who believed in Christian Zionism, or who at that time believed in evangelical dispensationalism. And uh, this was all written into the pages of the Schofield Reference Bible. That book was, again, published, guess where, in England at Oxford University Press. So there is a continuous ongoing connection between Bolshevik Zionists, world Zionists, and the United Kingdom. 
things just seem to go on that made Zionism work there in the UK. And it makes one wonder how much Zionist influence there was all this time over England. Obviously, there was a lot of very subtle Zionist influence from people like Lionel Rothschild. Samuel Untermeyer here in the United States, he was similar position to Mr. Landsman in Great Britain. You see, he was a very prominent, he was a lawyer also, as was Landman, and a big prominent New York law firm, and he swung a, a, a lot of power. All right, well, that was a great program. Thanks for all the input there. Very, very fascinating, and we'll look forward to a future installment and to get to the rest of the story. Thanks, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. And please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.